All right, thanks very much to David, the choir, and also the video team that did such an amazing job in putting this presentation together. What a great song. And since we have it uh, on YouTube, you can see it again and again, enjoy it more and more. We want to welcome you to church this morning on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms of all generations uh, that are out there. Hope that uh, all of you have some good plans in communicating appreciation to your mom. I was, uh, I wrote some things down. I was looking for a Mother's Day card. Last year, I went to uh, buy a Mother's Day card, and then I went back on Saturday afternoon before Sunday, and it was easy to find the Mother's Day card section because there were about 15 guys there and no women. True. And uh, so I had already bought some cards, but I looked for some other cards and picked up these other cards. Rather than bring all the cards, I just wrote down what they said. But these were kind of a humorous uh, uh, perspective on Mother's Day. Uh, first one I read said, Mom, if I had an extra $1,000, you'd get more from me than just a card. And then on the inside it said, you'd also be getting a nice T-shirt from Hawaii. I like that one. Um, here's another one that's good. On the outside it said, Mother, uh, there were times when I was a child when running away seemed like a good idea. You open it up. Fortunately, you never did. Yeah, no kidding. Here's another one. Mom, thanks for always loving me in spite of those things hopefully you still don't know about. And on the inside, and if you do know about them, it's not true. Uh, what's another one? <laughs> Here's one I like. So if you know Reagan and Susan Stinnett, their daughter Carrie sent, sent them this card. It says, a good mom lets her kids lick the icing from the beaters. That's nice, isn't it? On the inside, it says, a great mom unplugs the blender first. Yeah, I like that. That's a great way of putting it. And then one last one. This kind of fits with me as a dad. It says, mom, thanks for putting up with all the mess and crazy meal requests and complaining and child behavior, childish behavior over the years. And then on the inside, it says, but enough about dad. Happy Mother's Day. Well, we do hope it'll be a happy Mother's Day to you, and we hope that the topic this morning resonates uh, with a strength that many moms have, and that's this area of tough love. We started talking about tough love last week, and we're going to focus on a different passage. Last week, we looked at John 13. This week, we're looking at just one verse, then some other passages related to it. And that one verse is Galatians 5.14, where Paul says, For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting to think about this command in terms of tough love. I mentioned last week, when we hear the term tough love, the way it's used most commonly is the idea of you doing something hard or difficult towards someone that you hope in the long run will be for their good. But we're looking at tough love a different way. So kind of throw away that definition. We're going to look at tough the way the word is uh, actually used, the dictionary definition. And a dictionary definition of tough is able to endure hardship or pain, able to withstand extreme or difficult conditions, able to withstand great strain without tearing or breaking, 
strong and resilient. That's what tough really means. And that's what tough love really is. That's the kind of love Jesus demonstrated. Like we mentioned last week, it's not the kind of love we really see in our society very much. Our love is kind of a weak love, a soft love. People uh, in our society equate love with physical attraction. We describe love in terms of how we feel about people rather than how we treat people. We talk about falling in love or falling out of love. And then we have this whole issue of where people get their feelings hurt and then just stop speaking altogether. I bet all of us know somebody, maybe in our extended family at work, where we have that situation. They were friends, now they don't even talk. I read an article this last week, a sports article about a couple of NBA basketball players famous from the past, if you like basketball, Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan. And they, uh, Barkley talked about the fact that they had been friends, good friends, close friends, for about 20 years. And then he did an interview on the air where he was critical of Michael. And since then, 25 years, 1995, I think, he said was when, no, it was later than that, around 2000, when he did the interview. They haven't spoken once in all that time. That's not the kind of love that God wants us to have for other people. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's talking about a tough love. And I mentioned mothers. In John 13, 1, it says, Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the very end. And boy, that's the way moms love their children, isn't it? And that's the way God wants us to love the people around us. Now, when we think about this and we think about this amazing verse, we need to understand that this isn't the only place in the Bible where this command is found. Actually, the first time it's found is in Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. But in the New Testament, it's not just Paul that highlights this command. This command is repeated 10 times in different places in the New Testament. So why was it so many New Testament authors highlighted the command, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the answer is Jesus. The reason they highlighted it is because Jesus highlighted it. And if you uh, turn to Mark 12, 28 through 31, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But here's what it says. It says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so I asked him, of all the commandments, which is most important? That's a great question to ask Jesus, isn't it? Jesus replied without hesitation. He says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, or the Lord our God, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is equally important. You lo uh, love your neighbor as yourself. No other command no other commandment is greater than these. So why did the New Testament authors, why did his followers emphasize love your neighbor as yourself? Because Jesus said that these two commands, love God and love your neighbor, are the most important commands found in Scripture. It's interesting, we're reading from Mark, but in the Luke 10 account, after he gives this answer, the uh, person uh, he was talking to, it says, but wish, wishing to justify himself, the person said to Jesus, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And that's important because when the Bible talks about loving your neighbor, it's not just talking about the person who lives next door. In fact, in Greek and English both, the word neighbor comes from a root word or an older term that means simply nearby. In fact, neighbor is an evolution of that. You can even sense it, nearby, neighbor. So to love your neighbor is to love those that are, uh, you are near wherever you are. I mentioned this quote by this pastor, Eloy Cruz, who has a ministry to immigrants in Florida. And if you ask him what they focus on, he says, we only need to have two loves in our lives, love for the Lord and love for the person who happens to be in front of us at any time. That's what it means to love your neighbor. And that means loving your neighbor when they're different from you, when their politics are different, their faith views are different, their morality is different. Loving people that are hard to, you, uh, hard to love. And most of us know what it's like to have a neighbor or a family member or a coworker that's just a difficult person. How many of you? Raise your hand if you've ever had somebody like that in your life. Now raise your hand if you're sitting next to that. No, don't, don't do that. We notice the qualities in others that make them hard to love. A lot of times we're blind to the qualities in our own life that are difficult. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to consider four practical ways to express love toward people, to love your neighbors. In other words, the people nearby uh, that Jesus modeled for us. And we're going to use the word love to help us to remember it. We're going to treat love like an acronym, L-O-V-E, and we're going to hit four points. So the first point, the first way that Jesus showed us how to, and now there are many more, but these are four that are really important, four we'll focus on on Mother's Day. So the first way to express love is to listen. Listen. L is for listen. It's a challenge, isn't it? Well, now, fortunately for us guys, it's easy to listen, right? Guys have a reputation for that. Probably every husband has had the experience of turning off the TV and turning to his wife and saying, look, we don't need to watch the playoffs tonight. Let's just sit and talk about whatever you want to talk about. In fact, let's just begin by you telling me anything you want to say about your relatives and I'll listen. Uh, maybe not. Sadly, as guys, we're often known as very poor listeners. But listening is really important to God. And there's so many great examples in the scriptures of Jesus as a listener. I just put one verse in there early in Jesus' life, when maybe he was 12, 13 years old. It's Luke 2, 46 and 47. And uh, Jesus and his family had gone to uh, Jerusalem the family had headed back. There were a lot of people in the caravan. They didn't realize Jesus wasn't with them. And then they go, have to go back to Jerusalem. And it says, after three days, his parents found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus' answers were great. But he also listened and asked good questions. I put this quote up by a Christian author and theologian, a man named Paul Tillich. He said, the first duty of love is to listen. If we were in a more interactive group, a great discussion question is, what are some keys to being a good listener? I gave you five here that you might want to jot down. 
And they're all obvious, but they're important to remember. So what are some keys to being a good listener? Number one is talk less. Can't listen and talk at the same time. Something uh, my wife and I pray about, talk about, is that the Lord would help us to talk less and listen more. There was a comedian in the first half of the 20th century named Will Rogers. And Will Rogers said, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. You know, we need to talk less. Number two is pay attention. One of the things that's amazing about Jesus is you see him in situations where he's interacting with an individual, but it's in the midst of a whole bunch of other people. His followers are there, crowds, people pushing and talking, and, and yet you see Jesus totally focus on that one person that he's talking to. So we need to pay attention. We need to give people our undivided attention. Number three is ask questions. Ask questions is a great way to improve our listening. I, I just ran across a book. I haven't read it, but there's a book on Amazon. The title of the book is 307 Questions That Jesus Asked. And the reason I wrote it down is I had no idea that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, recorded 307 different questions asked by Jesus. Now, a great exercise would be to go through the Gospels and just underline and consider every question Jesus asked because the questions Jesus asked are worth thinking about. And I wrote a few down. In Matthew 16, he was sitting around with uh, some of his key guys, and he said, uh, who do people say that I am anyway? And that's in verse 13. Verse 14, they answer and respond. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And he never answers the question. He just affirms and replies to their questions. Another one that's really profound, I was up in Santa Fe one time, uh, and I was on a ski lift, and I got to talking with the guy. The ski lift had stopped, so we talked for a while, and uh, he, we, somehow the conversation changed to church, and he said, you know, I was watching a service at your church, and the pastor said that Jesus said, um, He's, that Jesus had asked this question, what does it profit a man if you gain, if he gain the whole world and forfeit your own soul? He quoted it word perfect. He, and then he looked at me, he said, does, did God, Jesus really say that? And I said, yeah, he did. He said, boy, that question really makes you think. He said, I'm not religious. I don't go to church. But boy, all week I've been thinking about that question. He said, where is that in the Bible? And, and I totally froze. I didn't know. But it's Mark 8, 36 is one place uh, where Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, forfeits in his own soul? In John 21, he asked one of his followers three times, do you love me? So a key to being a good listener is asking good questions and then really listening to them. So ask good questions. What's another key? I've got a couple of more da written down here. Uh, number four is don't assume. Don't assume you understand. Uh, you remember the book, uh, what was it, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. One of, those ha uh, one of those habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first as you listen, just to make sure you really understand what your wife, your kids, your coworker, your neighbor is really saying. Ask questions, get feedback, make sure you really understand. Covey went on to say, most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They mo listen with the intent to respond. We're thinking about what we're going to say, 
rather than thinking about what this person has said. I put down this uh, verse, Proverbs 18, 13. I don't know if I stuck it on a screen or not. But Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Another translation says, Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. And it is, isn't it? We've all had that experience of somebody um, just kind of interrupting us, answering what we were talking about before we really finished explaining it. Then the last principle in terms of listening is to listen to more. Listen to more than what is simply being said. Body language, attitude, spirit. You know, it's like if you ask somebody if everything's okay, and they say, yeah, everything's fine, everything's just fine. You walk away and say, well, everything must be fine. Yeah, listen to, what, uh, to more than what's being said. Peter Drucker is probably one of the most influential management coaches uh, in the last hundred years, written a number of books. And he said the most important thing in communication is hearing what isn't being said. It's a great observation, isn't it? I gave you a couple of quotes that have been helpful to me in listening. This one on the next screen is from a guy named David Coleman. He wrote a book called EQ. You know, we have IQ that is kind of uh, knowledge-based intelligence. EQ is relational intelligence. And he said in his book that he'd concluded listening is the single most important relational skill a person can develop. Think about that. Listening is the single most important relational skill a person can develop. And we've gotten, given you five different things you can work on to improve your listening skills. Look at this quote on the next screen. This is written by a man named Dr. Paul Turnier. He was a physician, very committed Christian, and ended up writing, writing a number of books like to uh, understand each other. He's Swiss. And then in, in this book, he said, it is impossible to overemphasize the immense need people have to be really listened to, taken seriously, and understood. Oh, that's really true. People yearn to be listened to. If we want to love our neighbor, family, people around us, we need to become good listeners. Okay, what's the next way to express love? The next one, L is listen. The next one is O, and O is overlook. And overlook is kind of related to forgiveness. They go together, but it's a little different, and it's emphasized in Scripture. Uh, I think I put these two verses to uh, pop up on the screen out of uh, Proverbs. The first one is Proverbs 19.11. It says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. The other one, also in Proverbs 12, 16, says a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. How are you at overlooking the mistakes, the failures, uh, when people blow it, react wrongly? I was looking up definitions of overlook, and one that um, challenged me is one definition of overlook is to look past something. So, you, uh, you're looking at the mountains and you look past what the electrical wires in the way and see the mountains. Well, God says we, want, we need to sometimes look past the sins, the mistakes, the failings of people around us and just see the people 
themselves. So a great question is, are you quick to take offense or overlook an offense? Which is more true of you? I was going to mention this later, but uh, Dale Coffing, who's a close friend of mine, and by the way, he's a great overlooker. I'm very grateful for friends like Dale who overlook all my sins and shortcomings. But we were talking one time about a quote we heard where someone said, God wants us to have a thick skin, but a tender heart. In other words, we should just be quick to overlook stuff, not quick to take offense. But we want to be tender hearted toward other people, overlooking. Uh, I've read some books by a guy named John Ortberg. He's a Christian author, lives out in Menlo Park, California. And uh, a couple of his books I bought just because the title was so good. And one of those books was a book entitled, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. That's a great title, and it's very true, isn't it? We've all got our stuff. And he talks about our tendency to define ourselves as normal and everybody else as difficult. But he says the Bible teaches a deep theological truth, and that is we're all weird. We've all got our shortcomings, our failures. All have sinned, Romans 3.23 says, and come short of the glory of God. And so we need to recognize that. Another book he relate, uh, wrote that has a, a related title is he said, I'd like you, the title of the book is, I'd like you more if you were more like me. Boy, that's the opposite to the spirit Jesus wants us to demonstrate in loving our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we need to recognize people are weird. God wants us to love them anyway. We're weird. God loves us. Jesus, we see his incredible love and patience, not just with his immediate circle, his 12 disciples, but with all these different people that came up and interacted with him. I like Hebrews 8.12. Uh, Hebrews 8.12, uh, God speaking to us, he says, I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Overlooking is a way we can show mercy. Are you quick to show mercy to other people? And then are you quick to forget? He says, I'll remember your sins no more. Just to forget, not dwell on it. Listen, overlook. What's the next application we see and how we can love on this Mother's Day? That's value, L-O-V, value. We need to value people. We need to see people the way Jesus sees them. A verse that's really challenged me, God's used it in my heart um, over and over again over the years, is Matthew 9, 36. And it talks about the, all the crowds of people that were following Jesus, and they were interfering with his sleep and his schedule. And, you know, he had this constant challenge uh, with people wanting to be healed and helped and taught. But it's interesting, his response in Matthew 9, 36 says, Seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the needs of people. Jesus saw the value of people. And there's a really important principle here. And that principle is how we see people shapes how we feel about people. How do we see people that disagree with us? Do we still see them as people that God loves? Do we see them as people whose opinions we need to at least respect, even if we don't agree, and that we need to take seriously and try to understand? 
How we see people shapes how we feel about people. There are all kinds of factors that enter in into how we see people. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture before. It was drawn in 1888 by a German artist, but it's used in a lot of uh, university psychology classes as an exercise in perception. And as you look in this, who, who do you see? In this picture, there's an old woman and a young woman. And they're both visible in the picture. Now, if, uh, if you're looking at the old woman, the old woman is kind of looking down and, in my picture, kind of down and to my left. Kind of down like this. And her nose is kind of prominent. Her chin is down here. That's the old woman. Now, or do you see the young woman? The young woman is the chin or, or the nose of the old woman becomes the chin of the young woman. And the young woman is looking back over her shoulder. You can see just the indent of her eye and her hair coming down. The point is, in perception, we don't always see everything that's true about a person. Do we see people the way Jesus sees them or the way the world does? The world is constantly devaluating, devaluing people on the basis of appearance or performance or social skills, money, whatever it is. But God says every person has worth. Every person was made in his image. Now, in this life, that image is marred by our own sin and sinfulness. But the value of every person hasn't been lost. We need to see the value of the people around us. We need to remember they're precious to God. And we also need to be able to overlook, to look beyond and see what God sees in them. Let me tell you the story about this rock on the next screen. In, what was it, 1905, a man by the name of Frederick Wells, was, uh, who's superintendent of a mine in South Africa, was walking down one of the, making a routine inspection of one of these long mine shafts. While he was walking down, just not far, I think it was 20 or 30 feet from the entrance, he noticed uh, something reflecting light off the wall. Curious, he stopped for a closer, closer look, and he uh, kind of got a little ladder, climbed up, and he pried this rock out, which he thought was a large uh, piece of crystal, and and took it down, took it out into the light. After it was tested, it proved to be the largest gem-quality diamond ever discovered. Over 3,100 carats. It weighed uh, over 1.3 pounds. It was about the size of a grapefruit. But it didn't look like a diamond the way we see diamonds. It looked like this rock. And one of the things when I read this story that I thought about is thousands of people walked or worked in that mine and walked down this mine shaft to look for other diamonds, but not one of them noticed the value of this rock that was in the wall. On the next screen, you see a picture of just one of the diamonds. This is called the Cullinan diamond. The Cullinan diamond was cut into nine larger stones uh, and about 100 smaller ones the worth of just the nine largest stones, and you see the picture of one there, the worth of the nine 
largest stones cut and polished is estimated at over $400 million. The point is, what do we see versus what Jesus sees? Jesus sees the value. He looks past the rough and dirty, doesn't he? And he sees the potential in every person. The opportunity, if that person comes to faith, what could happen then? Man, a central message, central theme in the Bible is people are precious to God. The people nearby you, you need to see them and appreciate them. Jesus taught that every person is precious to God. Every person is worth us loving. Every person is worth us doing all that we can to help in their being saved. Okay, let's look at one last way we can express love. Listen, overlook, value. Number four is encourage. Jesus was a great encourager. I was just reading in Matthew 8 where uh, this centurion comes and asks him to heal um, his servant. And Jesus says he'll do it. And the centurion believes him, this soldier. And what Jesus says is because of your great faith, he is healed. Now, it would have been easy for Jesus to say because of my power, he's healed. But instead of uh, focusing on that, he affirmed the person for his faith. Of John the Baptist, he said, there's none greater born of women. Of Nathaniel, one of his followers, he said, a true Israelite in whom there is no, nothing false. Peter, he named, renamed the rock. Jesus was constantly affirming people. And today, people really need encouragement, affirmation. How many of you feel like you get too much of that? Yeah, nobody, huh? There's an amazing story. I bought something off eBay recently. Ran across this story about it. A man, a man named Dan Baber posted encouragement for sale at, on eBay. He asked people to bid on getting an email from Dan's mom, Sue Hamilton, and he promised that the email they got from his mom would make them feel like they're the most special person in the world. And then he put it out for bids on eBay. The bidding started at $1. At the end, there were 42,700 hits, 92 cash bids, winning bid of $610. What does it tell us? Boy, if we encourage people, it means a lot to them. And it's a way we can show the love that Jesus wants us to. I like 1 Thess 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also already doing. Today, now another great discussion question would be, what are some ways we can encourage people? Certainly by the things we've talked about, but also affirming someone today, thanking someone today, telling someone today you're praying for them, getting in touch. I got an email from a friend of mine in Australia, and uh, his name is uh, Buckpit, last name Paul Buckpit. And he, Paul said, uh, hey, I want you to know that recently I've been praying for you every week. And we are real close friends. We're friends, but, not, but that was so encouraging to me, convicting to me as well. Listen, overlook, value, encourage. Let me tell you one last story and we're done. About 300 years 
after Jesus, after Jesus' life and ministry, death, burial, resurrection. In northern Africa, a little boy child was born to a family of people, the people groups called Berbers. They're Middle Easterners, not Europeans. So uh, this guy was born, th born in na northern Africa uh, of the Berber tribe. He was born to an interesting family. Uh, his mom was a deeply committed Christian. Her name was Monica. And Monica uh, had a deep relationship with the Lord, but she married a guy who was not a Christian. In fact, the guy she married, kind of a jerk. He had a terrible temper. He was unfaithful to her, just an ungodly guy. And throughout their marriage, Monica did all she could to help her husband come to Christ, prayed for them, and then her children come to Christ. And this, uh, so I think it was about a year before her husband died, he prayed to receive Christ. Authentic commitment. They had that one last year, and then he passed away. But she had prayed for him, reached out to him or their entire marriage. Her, her uh, one son was just as difficult. He resisted all her efforts. She prayed for him for years. Finally, he left North Africa, moved to Italy. And after a few years, she moved up to Italy as well to be closer to him. She got involved in a church and introduced her son to the pastor of that church. And through her prayers, her influence, conversations with this pastor, finally, at the age of 31, I think it was, her son came to Christ. She had fasted for him, wept for him. Finally, she saw him come to Christ. He came to Christ about two years before she died. So she saw her husband come to Christ. She saw her son come to Christ. Today, Monica's son is known by almost every Christian all over the world. Her son's name is Augustine. And he's considered, here's one quote, Apart from Jesus and the Apostle Paul, Augustine is arguably the most influential figure in the history of Christianity. Because of a mother's love, listen, overlook, value, encourage, pray, fast, weep. Augustine later wrote, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And then as part of a much longer prayer and meditation, that took him years to write, he wrote these words that have really challenged me. This prayer, he said, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We're surrounded by restless people. Let's pray that we're committed to letting God love them through us until they find their rest in Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for moms, moms like Monica, that pray and weep and fast and talk and don't give up on their kids and don't give up on their husbands. And Lord, you told us to love our neighbor as ourself. And you told us that these two commandments, love you and love our neighbors, are the most important commandments found in Scripture. So help us, Lord, and help us to love the people that don't know you around us. Do all we can to reach them so that they 
like us, can find their rest in you. Father, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Again, happy Mother's Day. Thanks for this time together.